You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Good morning again, church. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6 with me. Luke chapter 6. We're going to be diving into this text. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of my sermon is Living in the Upside Down. Living in the Upside Down. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to uh, get you one. You can raise your hand uh, and one of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, that is a gift from us to you. So the title is not in any way a reference to the movie Stranger Things. It's just coincidence. So uh, anybody knows Stranger Things? Anybody watch it? Love it? Okay. A few of us. Fantastic. That's amazing. Um, Have you ever done something that was harder than you thought it would be? I mean, like, that, that somebody tells you something, and you go, that sounds doable, and then you go and do it, and it's extremely hard. I, I think most of us fall in this category at some point in our life. There is something that someone has told us, hey, you can do this, and you go to begin doing the thing, and it's so much more difficult than it ever sounded. Maybe you're the person who's the, the, the beginner DIYer, right? You are learning to uh, doing it your doing it yourself, and you're kind of pulling up the YouTube videos, and you're like, oh man, I can totally do this thing, because they did it in two and a half minutes, so I could certainly do it, and you find yourself in the middle of the project, and you've broken something, and you've no way to repair it now, because you've gotten to this point to which there is no return, and so now you have to eat the bullet, and pick up the phone, and call somebody to fix it. Or or maybe you're a golfer. You should know, every single person in the room who's ever played golf at all, you know it is so much harder than it actually looks. I mean, the ball's not moving, and you cannot hit it where you want it to go. And if for those of you who've never played golf, oh, it can't be that hard, you're wrong, right? I'm just telling you. Like, baseballs are coming at you, and people are hitting them, and they, for the most part, really good guys, hit them pretty much every time exactly where they want to. And that ball is moving, and moving at a fast pace, and it's cutting in and out, and it's doing all these other things. All kinds of other sports, they're really hard. But this one sport, the ball doesn't move, you don't really have to move, right? Your feet can stand still. No, there's no defense. It, it's literally just, just you and a ball. And you hit it, and you learn why golf is a four-letter word. Like, it is a hard thing, right? And there are a lot of things in our life where someone tells us we can do this thing, and you go, oh, yeah, that's pretty easy. And you begin to do it, and you go, that is so much harder than it looks And that's what we're going to dive into in this text this morning. That's exactly what's happening as Jesus is preaching this sermon to a bunch of different people, is he's telling us things that I think that you and I, for the most part, hear, and we go, yeah, I get it. It's not hard to comprehend, but it is very hard to do. It's not a a hard thing when we get into this passage to really understand what Jesus is telling everyone to do. The hard thing comes in doing the thing or things. So we want to dive into this text verse by verse. Again, we're in this Sermon on the Mount series. And what Jesus is going to do in this sermon is he's going to 
preach in such a way that it makes you and I begin to think about the world in a very different perspective. It begins if we take his steps, if we you know, heed his words and wisdom, if we begin to follow after those things, what's going to happen is we're going to live in a world that is very different than the world that you and I find ourselves in every single day. We're going to live in the upside down. So last week, Jesus is preaching, and he's preaching to a whole group of people. There's disciples, there's his apostles, and then there's other people who are just kind of there to see Jesus. And he addresses at the beginning of this sermon, specifically the disciples, these people who would say, I am a committed follower of you, Rabbi Yeshua, Jesus, like I am yours, I'm following after you. And so he says several things to him. To these people, excuse me. He, he, he begins to say, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who hunger. Blessed are you who weep. And blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you. And then he goes to the woes and he says, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are now full. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. And we talked about how for the most part, our flesh really wants those woes. Those things that he says, woe to, those those things that we shouldn't do, and we don't really want the things that he says make us happy, make us blessed. Like, we don't really want to be hungry, we don't don't really want to be poor, we don't really want to be reviled, we want to be rich, we want to be full, we want to be spoken well of. So what is Jesus referencing? And what he's referencing to is our heart. This condition of our heart where we know that we are broken, and so we are not just poor, but we are poor in spirit, and we recognize the need for a Savior. And so he's going to open up, speaking directly to these followers, and say, here is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And then he's going to shift his audience. In verse 27, he says, But I say to you who hear. I say to you who hear. So Luke adds this, 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 this transitional phrase in this part of the book, in, in this part of the sermon, to shift you and my attention. Because before Jesus is preaching, he's really preaching to the whole group of people, but he's selectively pointing at one people group inside those three different groups. And now he says, hey, anyone who hears, listen up, anyone who hears. And then he goes deep. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And for the next several verses, what happens is Jesus gives us about eight or nine direct things to do. And this, we need to understand what Jesus is doing. First and foremost, when we say love in our language today, most often it is not an active thing. You're on the phone with your spouse, you're about to get off, and you go, oh, love you right? Is that something active? Is that, is that, is that, is that a verb? Is that, is that you doing something? Or is that just a feeling? Is that something emotional? Is that, what, what is that? For the most part, when we say, hey, love you, talk to you later, it's really just an expression of our emotions. It's an expression of our commitment to the other person, but it really isn't something that we're actively doing. 
what Jesus is looking at them and saying is, when you love your enemies, that means you do something. You do love towards them. He's pointing us to this reality that love is not passive. Love is active. Love is active. Now think about that in your life. Think about all the people that you love. How often do you tell them you love them versus how often you show them you love them? I heard one time someone say, you know, for me, love is just that I'm here at night, right? If we go to bed together, he or she just needs to know that I love them. That's that's my expression of love. If you've ever read the, the five love languages, this is, I think it's by Gary Chapman. It's, it's this expression of love and how we give and receive love. And so some of you are going, man, just because someone's spending quality time with me doesn't mean that I ever feel or receive or see their love. I need them to buy me something. Who, who, who's, a, who's a gift? Come on, help me out. Okay, y'all are going to be that thing. I knew Marquita was. I appreciate that. You know, all the rest of you like, I'm not going to be that because I don't want to have that one. It's good. Own your gift, girl. Good job. Appreciate it. So we all have different ways of giving and receiving love. Some of you like to get gifts. Some of you like to have quality time. Some of you just need them words of affirmation. You are so beautiful. You are such a nice person. And you're going, oh, thank you so much, right? You, t- you tell me words of affirmation. I'm going, I don't really care. What did you do for me lately, right? <laughs> Like, what what have you done for me? Are you here for me? And right here, Jesus is looking at the people and saying, your words, not necessarily hitting the people's words of affirmation, but your words, in essence, aren't doing anything. So what are you actively doing? How are you setting yourself apart? And he goes through eight or nine things. He says, do good, bless those, pray for, offer them Do not withhold anything. Give to everyone. Do not demand things back and do so to them as you would have others do to you. And right here, Jesus is having us lean in and really search our heart and go back to the beginning part of his message. Remember, the beginning part of his message was to the disciples, and he was talking about how to have a true heart and how to have a good heart, to be poor in spirit. Now, others heard it, but it was directed at them, and now he's shifting. He's saying, if you have a poor in heart spirit, like you recognize your need for a Savior, you recognize that you're broken, then here's what it looks like, everybody. You'll love. What does he tell his disciples? They will know us by our love. For one another. We get to this passage, and like I said, it's not one of those things that goes, ooh, this is a really hard concept to grasp. You all get it. I, I get it. We're to love each other, and we're to do something. Not just to say it, but to actually make something happen in someone else's life. I, I read a, a book on marriage one time called Cherish. And it talked about how in marriages, we are very quick to tell the other person that we love them. But we are slow to say, you know what, I cherish you. Now there's a a big difference between those two words. Love is just kind of wanting the best for someone else. But to cherish someone is to ensure and to do things, to make things happen that they 
have good things in their life happen. Does that make sense? So to cherish is to, to lift the other one up. To love someone is just to wish good things for them. To cherish is to make good things happen for them. To, to lift the other person above yourself is to cherish. To love is just, hey, I, I want good things for you. We should love pretty much everybody, right? I, I, I don't wish ill on anyone. So in essence, we are to love everyone. But cherish right here, this idea of doing something for someone else, Jesus says, love, cherish, do something for your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And then he's going to go to this verse 29 right behind a sentence that I think is is pretty loaded, right? Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. He's calling us to have softened hearts for people who treat us improperly, for people who take advantage of us, people who break us in so many different ways. And then in verse 29, we get to this place where we have to have a discussion in our head. Okay, is Jesus being the ultimate pacifist here and telling us to just get beat up by people? Or is he saying something else? And I think if you have a good biblical theological understanding, you would recognize that Jesus isn't saying, if somebody walks up to you and decks you, when you get consciousness again, get up and let them do it again. That is not what God models in Scripture. That is not what he teaches his people. There's something else happening here in verse 29. It says, To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So here's what's happening. The Jews have found themselves in a Roman society. So Rome is kind of overseeing all of their land. And at this point in time, if a Roman guard walks up to a Jew and they say, Give me ten shekels... You know what the Jew needs to do? Give him 10 shekels. That's what's going to happen. And so what you would see was the abuse from the Roman guard to the Jewish people on the regular. Now, they could somehow maybe go through some channels and get that dude fired or, you know, beat up because he's not supposed to do that. But that's what happened on the regular. And so the Jewish people were pretty you know, perturbed about this situation. They're going, hold on, this, these people are abusing us left and right. We're paying them taxes that we don't even necessarily owe them, and yet you're telling us to let them keep beating us up. And here's what Jesus is really saying. So if the Rome, Roman guard looked at the Jewish person and said, hey, give me 10 shekels, and they said no, what would happen is the Roman guard, who Rome, Roman people, generally speaking at this time, not Roman people, all people, because, you know, God left us left-handers out, were right-handed, right? Raise your hand if you're left-handed. Help me feel better. Thank you. Amen. 5% of us. So, um, most people are right-handed. And so what would happen, the Roman guard, after you said no to him for the 10 shekels, he would take his right hand, and he would smack you with the back of it on your what cheek? Your right cheek. Most of your translations, if you go through the Bible, literally say, Jesus says, once he's hit you on the right cheek, give him your left as well. So if I was actually in a fight and I'm right-handed, what cheek would I actually hit, hit you on? Your left cheek, right? If, if you swing with your right hand and somehow hit someone on the right cheek, something's weird, right? Something's off. 
And so this isn't a, a position of fighting. What, what's showing is a position of disrespect, a position of you've been wronged, a position of a, a place where you as the person who have been slapped on the right cheek, what Jesus is saying is, I know you've been wronged. Let them do it again. In this position, in this place of saying, do not let the offense come into your place and you feel like you are the judge and the jury, leave it up to me. Now that's a biblical principle, right? Jesus oftentimes, God oftentimes throughout the entire work of his Bible says, let me handle those who need justice. You just continue to do good and love me and love others. And so this position is, this, this picture in verse 29 is where the Roman guard smacks us on the right cheek. And then we look back, look back at him and say, thank you, sir, may I have another? In a disrespectful place, we will be respectful. In a place of ungodliness, we will be the godly people. In a place of cruelty and abuse, we will be a people of grace and mercy. And that will come when we get to a place that we recognize that we are poor in spirit. We are broken and we need him. And he goes on, offer the other your tunic. Do not withhold that. Give to everyone in verse 30 who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods. Do not demand them back. I love this. And we get to verse 30, most of us going, hold on, people ask for me money all the time. I'm supposed to just give them money. And then I would, I would have you flip down. And go to that last, that next verse. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So when you find yourself in a place of need and you've done everything that you can and you've worked hard and you are still lacking in something and you go to that friend, you go to that family member, you go, I need this. You know what you'd hope that they'd do? That they'd give it to you. And so when that person comes to you, who has been doing the right things and they're struggling and they're still lacking, you know what Jesus tells you to do? To help them. To help them. To go the extra mile and go, okay. And maybe, maybe you're sitting there going, oh, so they have to do all the right things. Have you ever thought about maybe sometimes people don't even know the right thing? Like we, we, we have a, a place in our society where you, you oftentimes can stand on one side of the road going, they're poor because they made bad choices. And there might be truth to that for some. But there might also be a place where it's just generational, I don't know what to do. Right? Because that's the normal that they've always grown up in. And so... When the five-year-old doesn't have food to eat at night, you know whose fault it isn't. It isn't the five-year-old's fault. So we, we, we can badmouth the mom and the dad, the auntie, the uncle, the grandma, the government, whatever we want to do. What's it got to do with the five-year-old who doesn't have food? Jesus is telling us to be a people of grace and kindness and mercy and love. Sometimes love comes with hard truths. Hey, Here's how we work. Here's how we do things. Here's how you, if you go to these, these kind of social work places, these places to help people get back on their feet, a lot of the times the first steps are how do you build a resume? Some of us in this room have never even like had to ask that question past like 14 or 15 years old because we learned it. Others are 45 and don't know how to do it. And then we wonder how they can't get a job or how they can't maintain something. It's because no one's ever come alongside of them in love and said, hey, 
Here's how you do it. And there's more than one way to skin a cat, so to speak. Sorry for you cat lovers. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) Jesus is telling us that in everything we do, bathe it with love. Like, there's so much harsh truth out there. And his people shouldn't be people about harsh truth. His people should be people about loving truth. Right? Like, we're not just the folks that should say, yeah, just go and do that and come back to me when your life is fixed. Because Jesus didn't say that to us. You know what I mean? Like, you were separated from God. You were broken, and there was nothing that you could do and go fix. Like, you could try to go cut this habit, this hurt, this hang-up, and you know what? You'd still be separated from God. And yet Jesus comes right in the middle of your brokenness, right in the middle of all your failures, your addictions, your struggles. And he says, I'm going to see you where you are. I'm going to bridge the gap through the cross. And I'm going to bring you back into reconciliation with God the Father. All you have to do is repent and believe. Why can't we treat relationships with people like that? Because it's a lot easier said than done. It's hard. And the way we have to get there is we have to get to this place where it isn't about the result. It's more about the process of walking with God. See, you and I are result-driven people, right? When somebody's hurting, broken, they come to me. Just just this past week, I had to pull out some marriage conference and marriage counseling for myself. Amy is telling me a story, and it's a long story, right? She's not here, so I can say all this. And I found myself about 20 minutes into this long story going, is she looking for a resolution or does she just want me to listen? Now, men, husbands, you can do this. You can literally look at them and say, babe, I'm here for you. Are you wanting an answer or you want me to just listen? Instead of giving them an answer when they just want you to listen. I don't know if your bride's like mine, but if I give my bride an answer when I'm just supposed to be listening, I'm about to get wore out, right? Like it's about to happen. And then there's that awkward moment when she did want an answer, and I'm just listening, and she finishes the story, and she goes, well, are you going to say anything? Right? And maybe nobody else is as, as, as dumb as me, but I have to ask the question. Do you want me to listen so I can help resolve this, or do you just want me to listen? And maybe sometimes with people, we need to do the same thing. Take that same attitude with others and just, just listen. And then if they're ready for us to help, then we get in line and we help them. And we be merciful and we're graceful and we do it with love. He gets to verse 31 and he says, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. This is a hard line to have heard as a Jewish person living in a Greco-Roman society. So ethics of the time were not that different from our ethics because we're a fairly Greco-Roman society as well. But basically, the way we operate most of the time is if you treat me this way, I'll treat you this way. Or if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. 
doesn't seem like a, you know, is that, am I out of left field? Y'all tracking with me? You should be right there with me because that's, for the most part, I mean, we'll give a little grace here. We'll do a little thing over there. But for the most part, it's like, hold on, what have you done for me lately, right? Like there's, there's an exchange system in our life. Whether we want to say it is there or not, friends, great, great model. Most of you don't have friends that you're the only one that ever calls them. And if you do, they won't be a friend for much longer. This is your sign, Right? Because you know how friendship works? It goes both ways. Or really, you're just kind of giving it all. And here's what Jesus looks at this Greco-Roman society, this group of Jews who have learned ethically that when things come your way, you should kind of give back to them. It's almost like Christmas, right? You go to that Christmas party and somebody gives you a Christmas gift. You're going, dang it, next year now I've got to give you a gift, right? Some of you are going, I've never operate like that. You have no soul. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But for the most part, we, we feel that tension, right? Somebody gives you a gift, and the next year you're going, oh, I gotta get them. Oh, they gave me like chocolates. That's like 25 bucks. Let's, should we stay there? Should we go more or less? Anyway, I'm bearing my soul with you. But what Jesus is telling them to do right here is that it doesn't matter what's coming your direction. Give them how you would want to be given. Treat them the way you would want to be treated. Do things for them the way that you would want to, things to be done. And then he unpacks, <coughs> excuse me, unpacks in verses 32 <coughs> through 36, specific ways and specific things on how those actions, the love that we do, separate us from everyone else. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners, people outside of the, the fold of God, Love those who love them. There's that reciprocating relationship and Greco-Roman thought right there. And even if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Bankers don't get nervous. This is not saying you shouldn't have an interest rate. This is saying you shouldn't have an ungodly interest rate. You can see throughout the Bible, there is interest paid back to loans. That's a biblical thing. 18, 25%, not a biblical rate, right? Like you can see that. That's, that's in scripture. You can find those models. And so this isn't saying that everything should be 0% interest and people should just give you money. I mean, you can think that, you'd be wrong, but that's not how that works. So there, there is a, a biblical and a good and a wise lending place, but right here, Jesus is saying, do not extort money from people. Do, do not put them in a position where they would never, ever be able to pay back these loans. Help them out. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, expecting nothing more than a normal, a good operating interest rate. And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And I want to land here in verse 36. It says, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And this is where the upside down really comes to play. This is where all of these things up to this point, Jesus is showing me and you how to walk, right? He opens up this sermon essentially saying, you need a new heart. 
You need to recognize the brokenness of your ways. And you need to look in a different direction for a heart. And once you've done that, once, once you've seen the happiness that it is to be poor in spirit but rich in Christ, then follow me in these ways. Love your enemies. Do these things. Serve, love, give, connect, be present, strive for excellence. Are you recognizing any of these core values at Piedmont Church? This is what he's called us to do. And then in verse 36, to me, everything hinges right here. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. We don't have the strength and the power to be kind and to be generous and to be giving. We can only do that through the power of Jesus. So this morning, I want us to bring us, I want to bring us back to this place of recognition and remembrance of the mercy that the Father has bestowed upon us through His Son and in the power of the Spirit by the Lord's Supper. I've asked a, a few couples to come up and serve these, and so if you're one of those, go ahead and move into position. <clears throat> and what I want us to do this morning is uh, each one of these couples is going to grab uh, one juice and one bread. And yeah, one will go over there, one will go over there, one will be in the middle. You go ahead and grab them right now. And what I want us to do as we dive into this, or dove into this text and really got to see kind of where God want us, wants us to live. And he wants us to live in this place of doing love for others. That can only be done from a place of receiving love from Jesus. And that's where this, this table represents the remembrance or the remembering of that reception. And so when you come up, if, if you have a relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to, to come forward this morning in just a moment and take the bread. And as you take it, they'll say to you, this is Jesus's body broken for you. And you'll take it and eat it. And in that, in that moment, I want you to remember that Jesus didn't leave you where you were, broken and far off. He came to you and said, I have a better way. And through my sacrifice, my gift, I'll give you eternal life. And then he's called you to be merciful as he was merciful. After you've taken the bread, you'll, you'll get the juice. And as you take it, they'll say, this is my blood poured out for you. And you'll take it and you'll drink it. And this represents the new covenant. As a believer, what that means is that the old is gone and the new has come. Meaning the old covenantal days where we would have to take a spotless lamb and get it slaughtered and yearly repeat this thing. Annually, we would show up and we would have to go through all these same rituals so that our sins could be atoned for, hoping for the Messiah one day. Well, the Messiah has come. And the covenant is now made for all those who profess faith in Jesus. And he says, once and for all, you are mine. Your sins, past, present, and future are atoned for. 
go and live for me. So those are our steps if you're a believer. If you're not a believer in the room this morning, I would strongly encourage you to ask the Lord to seek your heart and give your life to Jesus. I'm going to be sitting right over there. If you need somebody to pray with you, to talk with you about what next steps in following Jesus are, I would be glad to do that. But this time of, of table fellowship, table remembrance of, the, remembrance of the Lord's Supper is a time for those to remember the relationship they have with Jesus. To, to remember the sacrifice that he paid for them. So if you haven't done that, I would strongly encourage you to not partake. The band's going to take it with us. And then they'll come up here and we'll sing a song. But I just want to encourage you to be merciful as your Father was merciful to you. Let's go to the Lord. God, we thank you for your mercy, your grace, your love that was bestowed upon us. That without it, that there was no hope, there was no future. We were completely separated from you. But you came to us in our moment of weakness. You came to us in our moment of despair. And you brought us out of the darkness and into the light. And God, instead of us just kind of functioning and walking in the we are now saved, you have called us and commissioned us to make your name known. You've told us that one of the best ways to do that is to not only proclaim your word with our mouths, but to proclaim it with our lives and our actions, to do good, to love others. Show us this week how to do that. Guide us this week. Have us search our hearts in prayer and in meditation for opportunities to do that. And as we come to your table, help us to remember that you are merciful and so should we to be to others. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. This is your time, church. Respond.